I'm just eating my last. It's not my last fruit pastel, but it's the last fruit pastel I'm gonna I'm gonna consume whilst recording this podcast. <laughs> How quite fully professional of you. Have you seen, by the way, we got some uh, we got some hate mail comments in the. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's brilliant. <laughs> they're fantastic. Now, instantly, Sam, I hope you let this bit make the cut. <laughs> okay. Should we read it out? Should we, should we just? <laughs> you know when you've made it, when uh, when you start getting hate mail, well, not really hate mail. It's just like it's like um, the podcast equivalent of mean tweets. Yes, it is. It? Yeah, celebrities, which we now obviously are, having been pod being featured podcasts for the last week. Exactly. This is the dark side of being so goddamn popular. I mean, it our is. life has changed over the course of the last seven days, isn't it? It absolutely has. Yeah. I got recognised at a drive-thru the other day, Sam. Did, did you? Uh, re- is that because your photo was behind pe- it saying, do not serve this man? <laughs> <laughs> so this is the one that I think's most enjoyable. This is, I won't say who it's from. Historical, but not hysterical. Sorry. Shitty without being witty. The vulgarity is too frequent to be impactive. Wish I found you as funny as you find yourself. But I don't. Look, I mean... Thanks, Mum. It's like... <laughs> Don't trust a fat chef, do you, Sam? You know, if we're not laughing at our own material, you know, no, quite. Who is going to? You got, you got to believe in it. I want to say thank you to this user because I would definitely not have described us as hysterical, but I also wouldn't have described us as historical. So I'm taking a positive from this. I'm calling this positive feedback. Yeah, yeah, we went exactly. It's a little bit like, isn't it, going round to your neighbour's garden, walking into their backyard, eating apples off their tree that you don't like and then knocking on the door to point out to them that you don't like their apples. Because it's a free podcast. We, he didn't pay anything. Well, I would say, in his defence, it's not exactly like he's crept into our garden and stolen our apples. We were the featured podcast this week, so we've turned up outside his house mm. with a lorry full of apples, thrown some apples at him, and he said these apples are a bit rotten. <laughs> and what we're now saying is, that's gratitude for you. <laughs> what I like, Tom, is that Throughout this, you've remained professional and unembittered. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to That Was Genius, the little history podcast with just the right amount of vulgarity. (laughs) Not that we're embittered about the comments we're receiving. (laughs) The comment. The comment we're receiving. The little history podcast in which Tom, who's the man currently eating a fruit pastel in New Zealand, and I, Sam, the man currently drinking coffee in the UK, discuss history topics on a theme each week. The theme's decided a week in advance, but everything else is a surprise. And talking about surprises, we're so glad to have so many new audience members listening this week. It's really exciting. Welcome to you all. Yes, thank you for listening. I'm genuinely very surprised that we have some new ones. We've had we've had hundreds of new listeners the last couple of weeks. It's been fantastic. Thank you very much. We do hope you're enjoying what you're listening to. I think they will. I think they've heard us and they've gone, wow, that was great. Just the right levels of vulgarity. Yeah. One just, less just cock enough. joke and I'd have felt like I was missing out on something with my day. One more and it would have been vulgar. Indeed. I've got a cock monitor with me today. Excellent. Good. Which will beep if I feel that there's too much cock in the room. E- excellent. What, what sound does it make? Arrgh! There we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's Chris Akabusi. <laughs> Your cock monitor is Chris Akabusi. Excellent. Uh, yes. Uh, rest assured, though, that's the only time you'll be hearing that this week. Yeah. Yep. Just the right level. Just the right number of cocks. 
We met the cock. They they reached the cock equilibrium. Yes, cock quota hit. That's a mouthful. <laughs> That's what she said. As, it, as the actress said to the bishop. <laughs> Too easy. Speaking of which, Tom. Tee them up, you smack them up. Speaking of which, Tom, does that lead us into our topic this week or what? It does. Hit me with the topic, Sam. The topic this week, Tom, is the papacy or papacy, depending on your pronunciation, which is a very serious subject. Yep, yep. No need to monitor cocks here. The no, papacy absolutely. is never needed to monitor cocks. <laughs> they have never needed monitoring. They may have chosen to, but they didn't need to. So where did you go with your research? Oh, I decided that I'd go down some of the madness of the early Catholic Church, kind of early early medieval period, which was just bizarre. You know, the real kind of political intrigue, murder and slander times. Great fun. Where did you go? I've gone for witches. Witches and more witches. Oh, hello. Be, yeah, I know. I've gone witches, witches, witches. Fantastic. So this is going to be quite entertaining. And you know what I'm like with my sources, Sam? I find exceptionally silly sources because we've only got a week to prepare. I go through all the chapter headings and find the ones that look like they're going to be the most silly. So that's what I've done this week. Silly source, silly chapters <laughs> in the silly source. That's where I went. Good. Well, I'm not going to lie, Tom. I've just come back from holiday and I did most of my research whilst waiting to board a Ryanair flight yesterday. Nice. Do you feel invigorated, though, Sam? Are you, are you raring to go? Do you feel like this is going to be a good one? I literally can't wait, Tom. Feel it in your fingers. Well, it's funny you should mention that, because feeling it in my fingers is uh, something that will pop up in my story today. Oh, excellent. And no, let's avoid the obvious jokes, because we don't want to hear from Chris Akabusi. No, we <laughs> <laughs> uh, For those people who... <laughs> Sorry, we're going to have to explain another fucking No, we reference. don't. <laughs> oh, a 400-metre hurdler. From the uh, late 80s, early 90s. Became a bit of a TV host, children's TV host, didn't we? We've got to toss, haven't we? We do have to toss something. Can we toss your cock monitor? Oh, golly. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure I've got the vocal range to do an ogre horn hitting the floor. No, do you know what? I don't even have a 2p coin. Oh, I do. I do have a 2p coin. There we go. I'll do my tithe. As you well know, Tom, you're supposed to, as a good member of the Catholic Church, give 10% of your annual earnings to the Catholic Church. And as far as the UK tax authorities are concerned, 2p is about that much. So, Excellent. <laughs> the glamorous life of a podcast producer. Money, money, money. <laughs> but that's going to change if we keep on at the same level of progress with this podcast. We're going to be rich beyond our wildest dreams, Sam. We are. We're going to be rolling in lira. We're going to be like Crassus. We're going to be making literally 200 Turkish lira a week. Oh. Yeah. That's Beautiful. Right. Rolling in rupees. I've already bought myself a Lamborghini. I've got a little bit carried <laughs> a little away. Hot, a little Hot Wheels one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One that you pull back and it shoots off. Marvellous. Right. Let's flip 2P, my contribution to the upkeep of the Catholic Church. Isn't one of us supposed to ask, uh, guess what side it's oh, going to land go, on? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. I mean, want... I'm not a traditionalist or anything, <laughs> but as far as I understand, that's how it's usually done. That is usually the way. Would you like the side with the Queen's head on it or the side with some feathers and a crown? Or heads and tails, if you will. Heads and tails. Um, I'll go tails. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so long since we actually flipped a coin. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go tails. Heretical though it is, it's landed on the Queen's head. Okay. The Queen, obviously, head of the Church of England, and so, therefore, a dirty heretic who should be burnt at the stake. Yep. Speaking of witches. Right, I'm going to let you go first, Tom. This must be about that seventh or eighth time on the trot I've gone first. Well, if you want me to go first, that's fine. I'm just aware that it's nearly your bedtime. Yeah, exactly, and I started those. I'm going to discuss, then, Sam, I've alluded to it, a document from the Middle Ages that was purportedly endorsed by the Pope Innocent VIII by means of a papal bull. 
The papal bull is actually included in this document. What is a papal bull? A papal bull, it's like a decree ah. from the Pope. And if there's one thing we know the Catholic Church likes, it's bull. <laughs> so this one was first published in 1487. I'm glad, I'm glad you took that opportunity. That's, that's kind of what I was teeing up with that. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Excellent. Thank you very much. Teamwork makes dream work. It does it's indeed. called Malleus Maleficarum, Ooh. which translates as Hammer of Witches. Which Ooh. sounds like an excellent Dungeons and Dragons game. It does. Hammer of Witches. Here's a word for you, Sam. Have you ever heard the word strixology? No, I haven't. We are all going to learn something here today. And I hope also some of the listeners who have criticised us for not being witty enough or <laughs> clever enough oh, might also learn get something Get over today. it. You are in your mid-30s. You can deal with a bit of <laughs> negative feedback. <laughs> such a dick. Strixology is the study of witchcraft. <laughs> Non-fictional ah, witchcraft. Not, oh, non-fictional witchcraft, right. Yes, yes, so not just Harry Potter, not just the study of Harry Potter. Uh, so this hammer of witches... It's a science, is a strict... damn it, Tom. Yes, well, you think that's silly, don't you? You think the idea of I studying witches as a science is silly. But, Sam, we're talking about the Middle Ages, and <laughs> nothing was silly in the Middle Ages. So this strixological book was written by two German clergymen, a chap called Heinrich Kreimer, and Jacob Sprenger, which I'm hoping will give us an opportunity to do a German accent. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's oh, very good. Super good. Super good. It was actually written mostly by Heinrich Kramer. This second chap may well have been associated with it at a later date, and there's a bit of controversy over how much he was involved in the publishing of the book. It has been viewed as an example of how the Catholic Church viewed and dealt with witchcraft during the Inquisitions. And the Inquisitions, for, for listeners, was an umbrella term for the Catholic Church's attempts to subjugate and destroy, ultimately, heresies in Christendom. We've heard about the Spanish Inquisition, but there were many Inquisitions, and they kind of went on for reasonably long periods of time, as far as I understand. More recent scholars have taken the view that this wasn't actually the case, and it was more secular courts that were strongly influenced by this document. And th this is a very, very influential document. I think it was published more times than the Bible over a sort of 50-year period. It was, it was translated into a number of different languages. It was very, very widespread. Wow. And certainly contributed to the medieval hysteria that surrounded witchcraft and demonology. Very interesting. And Kramer's motivation for writing this, this book seems to have been to highlight, in his opinion, the seriousness of witchcraft that he thought people were not taking seriously enough. Well, that's a very serious science, Tom. It's very serious. Well, actually, I'll come on to this at the end. I'll wrap it all up with a, a suggestion of why there was this hysteria around witches. Kramer had overseen seven women being trialled for witchcraft in Innsbruck, which is now in Austria. And these women had been either found not guilty or they'd received light sentences, much to the disgust of Kramer. And Kramer's behaviour during this trial was very, very controversial because of his brutal, brutal methods of interrogation, basically torture. Sounds like a lovely man. He, he also had a deep obsession with the sexual practices of the accused as well. Not that this is a habit in things that you talk about, Tom. <laughs> I, so I, I don't think there was anything funny about what I'm going to discuss here. And I will be taking a number of direct quotes from the source. And I am not going to... Here we go. I don't find it very funny. I don't find it funny <laughs> at all. Okay, it's, it's a very important historical source. <laughs> Do you have a secret stash of 
ancient writings of the slightly pornographic nature <laughs> that you occasionally I'm good at them, aren't I? <laughs> I am very good at finding them. Hello. Well, I, you're not the only one with a cock monitor, Sam. <laughs> I just I just go into a library with my cock monitor and waggle it around. Ah, like and, a water uh, divining again, stick. It goes, awooga, 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 awooga. And that's when I found Priapus. And then I sort of, a couple of days later, I went back in with my, my cock monitor. And uh, that's where I found Malleus Maleficarum. Do you go into the Christchurch library? You just go up to the librarian at the desk and say, hello, anything new in the cock section this week? That's where you want me waggling my cock monitor around. Nothing under C. Let's try P for penises. <laughs> Yes, where was I? Where was I? Where was I? Where was it? Okay. During this period in the Middle Ages where there was a lot of witch trials and a lot of rather horrible behaviour towards... Largely women. <laughs> uh, well, interestingly, Sam, about a quarter of those accused and trialled were men. Yes. And bearing in mind this was a generally misogynistic, sexist time... And witches. That's probably not disproportionate to how females were treated in all walks of society. It was probably a fairly accurate representation yeah. of just general levels of sexism but you are right it, this document has actually been viewed in the previous few decades as uh, an important document for feminists looking at how females were badly treated in the middle ages and there are some very misogynistic passages in this book what do you call a male witch by the way a mitch as opposed to wizards i don't think they're called wizards they're actually called witches i think so, this translation, 1928 translation by Reverend Augustus Montague Summers. Good name. What an outstanding name again. He was a balmy English author and clergyman with a bit of an obsession with witches, werewolves what a and surprise. vampires. I know. <laughs> Why are English names so much more boring now? So he had a bit of an obsession with witches, werewolves and vampires, and it seems a bit odd to us that someone could believe so passionately about such bizarre, superstitious, illogical and unprovable things. But he did indeed believe in God. Hey. So this reverend... <laughs> this is the problem with you going first. You get all the good jokes in. I had to, I had to get that one out quickly because I knew you would butt in with it because you're always <laughs> picking off my jokes. I am. You're a punchline thief. He studied at Trinity College, Oxford. So I did a little bit of research about this guy and received a fourth-class Bachelor of Arts degree. Oh, that's a scraper, isn't it? <laughs> I know. Now, if that isn't a fantastic example of someone being educated beyond their level of intelligence, I don't know what is. <laughs> I, I didn't even know a fourth-class honours degree existed. That's a really good effort, isn't it? I think it's probably written on toilet paper and given to you in an awards ceremony behind the bins. <laughs> well, that's what I was thinking. What did this guy do? Turn up to the exams, pour his pot of ink over his arse and squelch it on the paper? I mean, what did he have to do to get a fourth-class well, that's more or less my university degree, and I came out with a 2 1. <laughs> what were the comments in the marks? What a wonderful butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Reminiscent of the Assyrian art style of City of Ur, 2500 BC to 2740 BC. Yes, wonderful piece. Wonderful piece. <laughs> I remember you didn't particularly like your degree, though, did you? I didn't like my degree. I much preferred all of the things that I did when not doing my degree at university. Like making Lego gimp castles. I that was I didn't do that. That was you. <laughs> Stop projecting. <laughs> Get your hair bleached. That and was things me. Like that. <laughs> was it you that bought the Rachel Stevens poster? Oh, it was a calendar, <laughs> wasn't it? I don't think it was. <laughs> Carry on with the story. Anyway, so let Reverend Augustus Montague Summers, <clears throat> this is a quote. It has been recognised even from the earliest times during the first gropings towards the essential conveniences of social decency and social order 
that witchcraft is an evil thing, an enemy to light, an ally of the powers of darkness, disruption and decay. This chap really did believe in what he was translating. He did believe that witches existed. As I mentioned, he had written about werewolves, vampires as well. What a nutcase. (laughs) Very strange. He does give a little bit of background to the original work, which is, I'll quote because it sort of uh, points us in the right direction. When in those dark days various errors had begun to penetrate Germany and witches with their horrid craft, foul sorceries and devilish commerce were increasing on every side, Pope Innocent VIII appointed Henry Kramer and James Sprenger, obviously anglicised versions of their name, professors of sacred theology, general inquisitors for all the dioceses of the five metropolitan churches of Germany. So that nicely sums up what we got here. So it's a document written, as I mentioned earlier on, primarily by Kramer, and it was as a result of a upsurge in the number of cases of witchery. And I'll explain that a little bit more a little bit later, why there was that. Anyway, the book is split into three sections. The nature of witches, what they do, and what should be done with them. I haven't been able to read it all, so I've found the silliest, rudest parts. Okay, part two, question one, chapter three. How they are transported from place to place, they being the witches. Here's a quote about how it takes place. Let me find it. This is an example of a woman flying now. Now the following is their method of being transported. They take the unguent, which, as we have said, they make at the devil's instruction from the limbs of children, particularly of those whom they have killed before baptism, and anoint with it a chair or a broomstick, whereupon they are immediately carried up into the air, either by day or by night, and either visibly or, if they wish, invisibly. So that's how they do it, these bastard witches. Yeah, they kill a few children that's the problem there mate that's the problem with your broomstick that's why it's not flying you've been using baptized kids hands yeah <laughs> you need 98 yeah you need nine, 98 octane blood oh that's gonna cost you mate that's gonna cost you put cat's legs in that we're gonna have to clean well, it all out we're gonna have to run the filters through you've got to take these things have you you've got to have a laugh when it comes to kids dying anyway yeah 200 dollars you can't get quicker than a quick kid killer tom they're the ones to trust that's a <laughs> nice nice 90s advert reference <laughs> that was an advert for a garage in the uk in the 1990s and <laughs> uh, what have we got as our next quote this is what they did with their flying powers. They went to the shops. They had some cake. Went to the cinema occasionally. They went to visit Mabel at the old people's home. Yeah, had a little Sabbath. That was all. Not much. In the town of Waldshut on the Rhine, there was a certain witch who was so detested by the townsfolk that she was not invited to the celebration of a wedding. Being indignant because of this and wishing to be revenged, she summoned a devil and telling him the cause of her vexation, asked him to raise a hailstorm and drive all the wedding guests from their dancing. And the devil agreed, and raising her up, carried her through the air to a hill near the town. Ah, here we, oh, this, this is where it gets juicy. Ooh. She had no water to pour into the trench, for this, as we shall show, is the method they use to raise hailstorms. She made a small trench and filled it with her urine instead of water, <laughs> and stirred it with her finger after their custom, <laughs> with the devil standing by. Then the devil suddenly raised that liquid up and sent a violent storm of hailstones, which fell only on the dancers and the townsfolk. And when they had dispersed and were discussing amongst themselves the cause of that storm, the witch shortly afterwards entered the town, and this greatly aroused their suspicions. Of course it was her. Of course it was her. What else could it be? If that wasn't proof, I don't know what is. There's only one way to find out, Tom. Ask her if she needs the loo. Yeah, exactly. It's, It's a nice insight into the logic 
of uh, people during the Middle Ages, isn't it? It is. And next time there is a hailstorm, I am definitely staying inside. Because <laughs> you don't want to be covered in a witch's piss. No. <laughs> there you go. Puddle of piss, sugar puff smell. Bring me a hailstorm <laughs> from hell. <laughs> Poof. Sugar puff smell. Sugar puffs do smell of piss, don't they? <laughs> they, do, they do. Here's a nice example of, of how the witches use their powers. There lives another priest in Oberdorf who saw with his own eyes such a transportation and tells how the man was born on high with arms stretched out, shouting, not whimpering, and the cause, as he tells us, was as follows. A number of scholars had met together to drink beer, and they all agreed that the one who fetched the beer should not have to pay anything. And so one of them was going to fetch the beer, and on opening the door saw a thick cloud before the grunzel, and returning in terror, told his companions why he would not go for the drink. Then that one of them who was carried away said angrily, even if the devil were there, I shall fetch the drink. And going out, he was carried through the air in the sight of all the others. <laughs> there you go. So there's an example of, of a devil making a man fly. Oof. I know. It wasn't that he was pissed and he tripped over the step on the entrance to the pub. <laughs> no, absolutely. I was just no. thinking I was just thinking this on a slightly foggy night. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He, he goes flying. It could possibly be his own, his own lack of coordination when drunk. Incidentally, the word grunzel. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah, vaguely. It's an old word for a threshold, a grunzel. Oh, there you, there go. you go. So he went absolutely flying because he was hammered and blamed it on the devil. Uh, yeah. We've all been there. This chap does have a bit of an obsession with incubuses, and, and uh, we've discussed incubuses in a previous episode. And succubi, or well, I suppose it could be incubi, and succubi. And incubi, or incubuses, are male demons that shag females. And succubi, or succubuses, are female demons that shag males. There you go, Sam. Ah. Another interesting fact for listeners. So next time you break up with a significant other and want to write something offensive about them on social media, here's a word you can use. (laughs) Yeah, nice. (laughs) Quote, And others are incubi, or succubi, who punish men in the night, defiling them in the sin of lechery. It is not wonderful if they are given also to horseplay such as this. So it's not his fault he was having a wank. Nope. It was. <laughs> it was the succubi. Sorry, dear. There was um, a succubi under the duvet. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Bobbing up and down. Oh, <laughs> couldn't do anything about it. And that clattering when I came in—that was me being transported back from the pub by a demon. A demon <laughs> smelling of piss. He stunk of the stuff. There was a hailstorm on the way back as well. <laughs> Sorry, that's. That's what that's what that is. No, it's a hailstorm only from the waist down. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm soaking. <laughs> Bloody witches. Can't live with them. Can't live without them. Part two, question one, chapter four. Here follows the way whereby witches copulate with those devils known as incubi. This guy really does have an obsession with it. He does, doesn't he? As mentioned earlier, he was known in court to be very, very obsessed with the uh, with the sex lives of those being accused of witchery. Now, this is a very important question that I think definitely needed asking, Sam, and definitely needed answering. Quote, whether the relations of an incubus devil with a witch are always accompanied by the injection of semen. Oh. <laughs> yeah, very important question to ask. It's the first thing that I thought of. It's the question that's on everyone's lips, isn't it? It's what we all <laughs> need to know. Certainly the witches, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Quote, there is this probable distinction. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Quote, there is this probable distinction that a witch is either old and sterile or she is not. And if she is, then he naturally associates with the witch without the injection of semen, since it would be of no use. And the devil avoids superfluity, superfluity, 
super superfluity. I could say superfluous, but I can't say superfluity. I think that's pronounced superfluity in his operations. You you can edit in the right one. How's that, Sam? No. Uh, every single attempt is going to be in the final cut. Yeah. The devil avoids superfluity in his operations as far as he can, but if she is not sterile, he approaches her in the way of carnal delectation, which is procured for the witch, and should be disposed to pregnancy than if he can conveniently possess the semen extracted from some man who does not delay to approach her with it for the sake of infecting her progeny. And it's again, it's those bloody it's those bloody witches and demons, Tom. Oh, how did you get knocked up? Well, it's a funny story. There was a demon. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I couldn't do anything about it. I, I, what I also particularly like is that the, de- the devil isn't wasteful, Tom. <laughs> you know, every sperm is sacred is traditionally a song associated <laughs> with Catholics. Yeah, I mean, well, at least they've got something in common, don't they? Waste not, one yeah. not, Tom. Waste not, one not. <laughs> yeah. It's a nice to see a coming together of ideas between the Catholic Church and Satan. The devil does like to uh, recycle, you know, and he, he, he does like to keep things tidy. He doesn't like waste. So he's not as bad as everyone makes out, really, is he? No, I don't. I don't think so. It gets a bad press. Uh, yeah, particularly during the Middle Ages, and particularly because you know the Catholic God is supposed to be omniscient and omni- omnipotent. So during the process of creating the universe, knew that the devil would appear anyway. Yes. So the devil can't be all that bad, can he? Really? He's in fact a creation of God Himself, and uh, God's divine will is to have the devil and occasionally have him send demons to impregnate you. Exactly. So it's all God's fault. All part of God's plan. It works in mysterious ways. <laughs> He's a bit of a dick. <laughs> Are we talking about Bono or God? <laughs> <laughs> is there a difference? <laughs> well, not in, not in Bono's mind. You know no. that joke, don't you, Tom? You know that joke. What's the difference between Bono and Jesus? I don't know. Jesus doesn't walk down the street thinking he's Bono. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Uh, Well, let's have another little quote here. But this also cannot altogether be denied, that even in the case of a married witch who has been impregnated by her husband, the devil can, by co-mixture of another semen, infect that which has been conceived. That's a bit disgusting, isn't it? Yes! (laughs) Bit of a semen cocktail going on there, a bit of a shagarita, Mm. a double screwdriver. (laughs) A pina camada. Oh. oh, Tom, Tom, Tom. Hang on, let me just check. Let me just check with Chris. No, we're good. <laughs> really, he didn't spot. He didn't spot what I said. Let's go on to the um, the next quote because this is another important question, Sam, and that is the question of visibility. The question whether incubi and succubi commit this act visibly on the part of the witch, or on the part of the bystanders. Hmm. Okay, very important question. I'm glad Kramer has asked this one as well. Quote, the devil has always operated in a form visible to the witch, but with regard to any bystanders, the witches themselves have often been seen lying on their backs in the fields or the woods, naked up to the very navel, and it's been apparent from the disposition of those limbs and members which pertain to the venereal act and orgasm, as also from the agitation of their legs and thighs, that all invisibly to the bystanders they have been copulating with incubus devils. So there you have it, Sam. <laughs> These witches, God, they're, they're at it anywhere. The harlots shagging the devil. Kind of on their own. (laughs) In the woods. Could have just been having a wank. Possibly, yeah. Just putting out there. Oh, oh, officer. In front of all the bystanders. Or (laughs) just Kramer, who's gone out looking for ladies in the woods. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to find five minutes peace. (laughs) I was just stood there. He's German, isn't he? I was just stood there. 
I was just going for a little stroll in the woods with my binoculars. <laughs> and what did I come across? Oh my god, it was a witch being impregnated by the devil. It is disgusting. I could not take my eyes off it. It was no. revolting. The fourth time it has happened this week. Revolting. <laughs> I know. It is almost as if God is willing me to follow these women into the woods to collect evidence. <laughs> I've been watching as closely as I can and I cannot see any incubi anywhere. Nine. But I'm going to look even closer tomorrow <laughs> when I go out. But you know what they say, Tom? The more you look for the incubi, the harder they are to spot. All it proves when I don't see one is that I'm looking really hard. I thought you were going to go for the general paradox which seems to surround... These poor women being accused of witches. No, oh, they're definitely guilty. Exactly. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> the guilt is already established before they're they're trialled. It, w- it would seem. Yes. And it's just about torturing them to the point at which they actually just decide to tell the torturer what they want to hear. Part two, question one, chapter five. Now here, the author explores, amongst other things, quote. And as to men, first, how they can cast an obstructive spell on the procreant forces and even on the venereal act, so that a woman cannot conceive or a man cannot perform the act. So these bloody witches are also stopping people from having children as well. They're stopping men from being able to get it up. As well as putting children in. <laughs> uh, yes, it's, it's, it's a, they're, they're up to all sorts of no good, aren't they, really, these little devils They are. And it's almost as if any personal problem you have in your life is the devil's fault. It is, absolutely. Rather than discussing it with... I don't know, your wife or a sex therapist. Yeah. It's the witch's fault. Always the witch's. I can't get it up. It's the witch's fault. Here's another one. Secondly, how that act is obstructed, sometimes with regard to one woman but not another. How they take away the virile members, though it were altogether torn away from the body. They're even pinching knobs. Oh, pinching. Pinching knobs. (laughs) Yeah, they're half inching your knob. (laughs) <laughs> They're stealing people's penises. Dreadful behaviour. I mean, maybe that's a suitable substitute for a uh, baby's arms in a broomstick. A, a man's knob. I mean, you could even just fly around on a knob. <laughs> Ride around on a cock, so to speak. <laughs> yes. Getting a bit, getting a bit graphic. Um, Carry on. Getting a bit poor. Yes. Ickety zickety zoo. Here's what I'm going to do. Ippity zippity wob. Still fat Barry's knob. <laughs> <laughs> So it really is a very ridiculous document. Here's, here's a bit more information about the, the, the torture. Here's, it's a separate chapter. This is part three, second head, question 15 of the continuum of the torture. <laughs> this sounds very much like a legal document, doesn't it? it, it well, exactly. It was it was a document for people to refer to when they're trying to try, when they're trying to deal with witchery in the community of the continuing of the torture and of the devices and signs by which the judge can recognise a witch and how he ought to protect himself from their spells. Also how they are to be shaved in parts where they use to conceal the devil's masks and tokens together with the due setting forth of various means of overcoming the obstinacy and keeping silence and refusal to confess. So that's just a summary of how they find someone they want to be guilty and they torture them until they tell them that they're guilty. Thankfully, that kind of thing doesn't happen anymore, Tom. Guantanamo <laughs> mate. What? <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. Just had, a, just had a war crime in my throat. Carry on. <laughs> so, yeah, I suppose to wrap up, it, it's a fascinating document, this one, which highlights what was going on in Europe after the Reformation. So this is the context behind the witch trials and this obsession with witches. So the Catholic Church was trying... the. the the Catholic Church's legitimacy was under question after the Reformation. 
the Catholic Church, as we've discussed in previous episodes, was trying to assert its dominance and it was going on crusades. It was claiming that people were heretical. And this is kind of this is how people were responding to the fact that the the old order, the established Catholic Church was being questioned by people. They were saying that the, the devil has got in, has come into society. Oh, incidentally, Sam, I should also mention, sorry, there is in, to context this. This is 15, 16, 1700s, mostly 15 and 1600s this peak in witchery and uh, obsession with witches and it does coincide with uh, what's known as the little ice age which was a couple of hundred years of colder weather famines bad harvests those sort of things Mm. and it's quite it's very likely that that also played a role in the accusations because uh, life was hard kids were dying there weren't good harvests there was crap weather and they would just blame it on witches Blame it on the ugly hag who lives down the road. Yeah, it's clearly a lady on a hill pissing in a hole. It is. It's the logical... Science. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever's happening, Tom, I think it's mostly the fault of ladies. I think we should... (laughs) Yeah. Don't blame it on the ignorance. Don't blame it on meteorology. Don't blame it on prejudice. Blame it on the witches. (laughs) Well, quite. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait for the Enlightenment. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait for the Enlightenment. Don't blame another bit ignorant. Don't blame another meteorologist. Anyway, uh, there, there you have it, Sam. So that is um, my little delve into some of the weird documents about witches during the later Middle Ages. The Malleus Maleficarum, the Hammer of Witches. Fantastic. And so did you... I might have had a mind blank there. You didn't go into the, the torture very much. Yes, so, so the, there was a lot of torture. A lot of torture. And what, what happened in the torture is that the accused would be encouraged to tell the torturer who else was involved, who else was at the Sabbath, who else was huddled around the cauldron talking nonsense about eyes of Newton things. Obviously, these women were being tortured, and so Mm. they would just come up with any names that they could come up with, and um, suddenly these incidents of witchcraft would suddenly explode and a whole community would be ripped apart because everyone was being accused of witchcraft. And they were they were thumb screws. Uh, the rack was a very popular form of torture. So just stretching them until their shoulders popped out and their hips popped out. Nowadays known as reformer pilates. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Yeah, might as well just admit it and apologise now. They were going to get burnt at the stake anyway, regardless. So it didn't really matter. Get the killing over and done with. Well, that is charming. And uh, what a wonderful way to treat vulnerable members of society uh, yeah. elderly women <laughs> well it wasn't necessarily elderly women either Sam it was usually the, the people who were in vulnerable positions would be maids midwives those sort of people people working with children for example if the child died yes, then they were the one that was going to get blamed or someone who might for example be cooking the meals for a woman who's recently given birth if there's then complications the woman gets blamed so yeah there were certainly jobs that you wouldn't want during this period. Yes. A little bit higher risk. Fantastic. Well, not fantastic. Horrifying. But there we go. The past That's day. the Middle Ages for you. <laughs> that is the Middle Ages for you. Well, speaking of having a horrible time in the Middle Ages, Tom, I've I've got a cracker today. Can I pull one end of it? Oof. Go on, then. Bloody succubus. <laughs> Ready? Ready? Pop. Yeah, that's me done. You witch. You stole my cracker. <laughs> right. Today, Tom, I'm going to talk about Pope Formosus. And the Cadaver Synod. Ooh, that sounds like a Tintin. Oh, this is definitely not an adventure Tintin wants in on. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> there is something of a Scooby-Doo around it, but uh, definitely not one of a... Not, not a kid's story, this one. Not a kid's story. Good. That's a promising start. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to take us back to the 9th century, Tom. 
which was not a very good time to be alive. It has to be said, it was also, as we will discover, not a particularly good time to be a Pope. <laughs> oh. Quite a few of them, for various reasons. Are we, are we talking about one of the times when there were three at the same time? No. We're talking about a time when God so loved his closest and most beloved children that he would quite often invite them back to heaven within just a couple of weeks of them starting the job. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Pope Formosus. It's all about today. And he was born sometime around 816-ish AD in the Papal States, which is the territory directly controlled by the Pope. And he was born at a really bloody difficult time for the church. Incidentally, I mean, this was an interesting fact I came across. I didn't delve into it in great depth. But the Papal States were kind of abolished after the French Revolution, weren't they? Uh, yeah, I've got this in my notes. The Papal States actually lasted all the way up until 1870. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah when the states fell along with Rome. It was the, one of the last acts of Italian unification and the coming together of Italy. It was the abolition of the papal states. It lasted over a thousand years. Very yeah, good. Really, really quite quite impressive, considering it's not forgotten about, but unless you're kind of into your medieval history, it's not something you've ever necessarily really heard of. But yes, it's a really bloody difficult time for the church, the start of the ninth century. Up until just a few years before Formosus was born, Rome and a large slice of northern Italy were still kind of loosely controlled by the Byzantine Empire. They were still part of the Eastern Roman Empire. And so whilst the Pope essentially ruled a lot of northern Italy, there was an incredible amount of infighting and successive popes and people calling for European support to push the Byzantines out and the Byzantines launching military campaigns and theoretically the Pope was still subject to the Patriarch in Constantinople. It was a really, really messy time to be a Catholic in Italy. Um, it was around the same time that Charlemagne had been crowned Emperor and formed the Holy Roman Empire in 800 AD and so there was an awful lot of politics and infighting and things going on. It was a very dark time for the Catholic Church. Awful lot of backstabbing, awful lot of murders, all very holy, of course. Mm. It's exactly what Jesus would have wanted. Yep. So, Formosus was born in Rome, joined the Catholic Church, and rose up through the ranks, becoming a cardinal in 864. So he was around 48, 50 years old when he became a cardinal. And pretty quickly became the papal ambassador, known as the Legate, or Legate, to Bulgaria in 866. And poor old Formosus, he didn't half get himself involved in some bother by just trying to do his job. In 875, the Holy Roman Empire, Louis II, died, and his uncle, Charles the Bald, King of the Franks, was elected as his replacement. There are some great names, aren't there? The Frankish We've gone kings. through medieval royal names in this podcast before, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and how they are either very cruel or very ironic. Um, I have to say, I looked up some pictures of Charles the Bald, and he is shown in medieval artwork with a full head of hair. So yeah, so we're it was one of those going, ironic ones. Yeah, we're yeah. definitely going with an ironic name because Charles the Bald was actually quite hairy. <laughs> did he have really hairy? Did he have like hair that went right down to his eyebrows? Yes. Yeah. Sort of minimal forehead to his eyebrows and his asshole. Yeah, he was really. Yeah, he looked yeah, like cousin really. It. You just described a hedgehog. Haven't you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wonder why it wasn't called Charles the Hedgehog. Well, quite. Or indeed Sonic the Hedgehog. Yes. Because he was also mute. Was he? He wasn't. That's just ironic nicknaming medieval kings. <laughs> Charles the Talkative Hedgehog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Formosus was sent to invite Charles the Talkative Hedgehog of France to Rome to formalise the deal and give papal blessing to his ascension as Emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. Great, except old Baldy slash not Baldy wasn't a particularly popular choice amongst the nobles of the time. 
Many in the Holy Roman Empire and in Rome as well sided with Louis's widow, Engelberger, or his brother, Louis the German, who clearly wasn't German. <laughs> yeah, Engelberger. Great name for a, an empress, wasn't it? Hello, my name is Engelberger, the empress. I'm a very pretty woman. I am beautiful. I have my moustache all curled nicely for you. They call me Engelbert the Beautiful. It's an ironic name because I'm fucking barely. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. But of course, Tom, we can't overlook the brother who was uh, Louis the German, who is clearly the most German man you can imagine. <laughs> I am so German. I say things like uh, Schneider, Schneider, Schnell, Schnell. I'm so very French. I like uh, traditional German fare, I like baguettes and the frog's legs. <laughs> ah, yeah, oui, oui, oui. Oh, oh. And I also know. occasionally like to go on strike. <laughs> Just like the Germans With all do. the other farmers in France. <laughs> yes, in, uh, German, in Germany, sorry. <laughs> we love parking our tractors on the roads. Sorry, Germany. <clears throat> occasionally I like to burn a tire, just like in Germany. <laughs> Louis is a German. So, among the people who actually really supported Engelberger or, or Louis the German for the throne of the Holy Roman Empire was Formosus himself. Unfortunately, because of this, he feared political retribution. So despite having gone and done this mission and said, yeah, we accept you as emperor, he feared for his life. So he fled to Tours in France after, quote-unquote, having despoiled the cloisters in Rome. Which Ooh. was a, a major crime in the papacy. To spoil the cloisters? Is yes. That what you, did he have norovirus or something? <laughs> well, I was going to say, it probably meant... I, it, the sources don't really go into what happened, but it probably meant that he stole something from the cloisters in Rome as he ran away. It probably doesn't mean he took a shit in the pews. <laughs> okay, okay, good. Although medieval sanitation being what it was, it's not entirely unlikely that he I also that did that. It would be despoiling, <laughs> would it? It'd be desoiling. Yes. Um, <laughs> just desoiling there. Defiling, the yes. Anyway, Formosus ran away and refused to return to Rome. And when he did, he was excommunicated on charges of firstly fleeing his diocese, which was in Rome. Secondly, shitting on the pews of the Vatican. Yep. Thirdly, aspiring to be the Archbishop of Bulgaria, since apparently he'd quite liked it there. They'd quite liked him. And the crown prince had asked if he could stay, which apparently was a major crime in the, the 9th century papacy. To be popular. To be popular and to be liked. <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently it's illegal to... This went into it. It's illegal to have two jobs, apparently, in the Vatican. Right. You can't be the bishop of two places. And because he was already a cardinal in Rome, he couldn't be a bishop in Bulgaria. And even wanting to, just wanting to be the bishop of archbishop of Bulgaria was a major a major crime. Mere desire. Well, it was the desire the mere that desire was... desire to want to poo in the cloisters. The mere Indeed. desire was a crime. You think about shitting on that bench... <laughs> And you're out of here faster than you can say skidmark. Indeed you, you are. <laughs> you are out of here. He also apparently, slightly more seriously, conspired to destroy the papacy. Oh, OK. Well, that's fair enough then, isn't it? So, so, so there you go. It is quite likely that uh, the Pope at the time, John VIII, saw Formosus as a rival. For a few years now, his name had been banded around as a potential Pope himself. Until the whole shitting incident, in which case... Until, until the whole shitting in the cloisters incident, yes. But then we thought, oh, OK, well, maybe we need to work on his... Co we could put him on a training plan. Absolutely. Once we've toilet trained the Pope, we can... <laughs> we can we can potentially have him as a Pope, there you go. Yeah, was toilet, toilet trainer cardinal, we can have him as a Pope. Yeah, well, if he wears a nappy, we've got big drapes that we wear. So yes, Ooh, can you imagine the pomp and ceremony of a papal nappy? <laughs> it's going to be covered in rubies. <laughs> it will be when it's finished with. <laughs> 
A diamond in the diamond very rough. Diamond encrusted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Mm, lovely. Anyway, his uh, his excommunication did not last a particularly long time. So he was excommunicated in eight seven five, and in eight seven eight he was de-excommunicated or Ooh. re-communicated or whatever, on condition that he never again did anything remotely priestly. So he had to live life as a layman. He wasn't allowed to come back to Rome. He had to stay the hell away, which was an oath that he swore. Then he'd be allowed into. He'd be allowed. He'd be allowed into heaven. He'd be a Catholic once again. So he swore an oath that he was now a layman. Yet just five years later, in 882, John VIII's successor, a pope called Marinus I, uh, completely undid all of that and made him a cardinal again. Oh, Jesus. So it wasn't a very long-lasting promise. <laughs> Come on, God. Have some continuity with your policies. I know. Policies. Well, you, you know, Tom, papal infallibility. The pope can't be wrong until he is. Two more popes passed in fairly quick succession because popes tended not to live a very long time before God came a-knocking. And in October 891, so seven years later, uh, sorry, nine years later, Formosus was unanimously elected Pope himself. And true to form, he only lasted five years in the job before dying in 896 AD. Ooh, cloister accident. In a pooey cloister accident. Yes, absolutely. He slipped and fell. Banged his head on the cloister. Done. What is a cloister? Done, popio done. It's actually it's a covered walkway. Covered walkway. In a, inside a religious institution. I did look this so up. A nice, way, a nice place to have a poo, really, isn't it? A little covered oh, yeah, walkway. Yeah, lovely. Nice view. Yeah. Wink at the nuns. Yeah, exactly. Danger poo. It's, it's just a, a low threat of someone walking past while you're doing it. A high-risk shit, yes. Danger poo. Danger poo. Blame it on the devil. Or blame it on the nuns. <laughs> blame it on the boogie. So, yes, just a few years and we've already gone through many, <laughs> many popes. on the mead. <laughs> Pope incontinence the third. <laughs> Quick stop for a papal poo. Was that on the tour? <laughs> yeah. The Vatican tour. Sitting on his throne. <laughs> now is your opportunity, guys, to have a quick stop for a papal poo. Enjoy the papal paper, quadruple ply. Actually, Tom, the papal toilet paper's only single ply. It's particularly holy. <laughs> See what he did there. Nice. I was imagining some cubicles that doubled up as a confessional. I, I always assumed that they were. <laughs> That's where I'm going wrong. So, Formosus only lasted five years of shitting in the cloisters before he was called back to God's own toilet. In five years, though, oh, he did do some meddling, Tom. He did do some meddling. So first off, there was a fight going on for the French crown in which he sided with Charles the Simple over Odo, the Count of Paris. Charles the Simple, of course, by the way, in medieval naming parlance, actually founded Mensa, worked out the universal constant equals MC squared like a thousand years before Einstein did, and uh, won the Great British Bake Off twice, with his giant meringue Jesus and a life-size Genoese sponge Charlemagne <laughs> with a chocolate finger beard. So there you go, an absolute moron. So he sided with Charles the Simple over Odo of Paris. He also hated the then Holy Roman Emperor Guy III of Spilito because the only thing that they were getting through quicker than popes at this time was Holy Roman Emperors. Guy of Spilito was causing trouble in Italy. Uh, so Formosus forced him to elect his son as the co-emperor and then, regardless of this, encouraged everyone else to invade him. So he set up his son in the position... Yeah, so it's, it's all very, very confusing. So Guy III of Spilito was the Holy Roman Emperor and was causing an right. awful lot of trouble in Italy around the Papal States. And so what Formosus did was he forced Guy III to elect his own son, Guy's son, as the co-emperor. Uh, in the hope that his son would temper his Control ambitions the against the papal yeah, okay. states. Yes, okay. a little bit. Regardless of doing that, he then went around asking people to invade the Holy Roman Empire. 
to put a check on the power of Guy III. Now, this is where it gets really, really confusing because the papacy and the papal states and the Holy Roman Empire had a really fucking confusing relationship. Uh, the papal states, despite being nominally independent and the territories kind of owned and ruled by the Pope, were considered quite a lot of the time to be part of the Holy Roman Empire. But the Holy Roman Emperor was considered to be a priest who was subordinate to the Pope. Oh, I see that. If that was a spreadsheet, it would come up with a, a little error message. With a, with a little passing C- error, yeah, it formula, would. Circular formula, yeah. Indeed, yeah. Because there were so many power struggles and there were so many popes and emperors coming and going, quite often the papal states were independent, quite often the papal states really only existed in name and were ruled by local nobles with no religious connections. Everyone hated each other. The Holy Roman Empire and the Pope kind of needed each other, but also at the same time loathed each other and were constantly having each other overthrown and killed and excommunicated. It's all very confusing. The upshot of this is that in a time of great political intrigue, he got his feet wet. He waded right in, nuts deep into European politics. Um, that's the first. That's the first stage, isn't it? Get your nuts in. Indeed, yeah. Once you pass the nuts... It's easy until you get to the nipples and then it gets challenging again. Absolutely, yeah. Sometimes it's better just to dive in. That'd be a good name for a pub, wouldn't it, by the beach? Nipples and knackers. Nipples and knackers. (laughs) Cockles and whelks, Tom. Cockles and whelks. Yeah, the nipples and knackers in. So anyway, following Formosa's death in 896, just five years after he ascended to the throne of Papacy, there was a lot of writing and a lot of infighting between all of these different papal and imperial factions. And a guy called Boniface IV, or Boniface VI, sorry, was made Pope. Now, you fucking amateur. Of course it wasn't Boniface IV. No, I know. Everyone knows who Boniface VI Fucking what did amateur Boniface owl, the fourth right? ever do? Well, I, exactly, Tom. Fucking exactly. Nobody ever remembers Boniface the fourth. Well, Tom, it's quite unlikely that anyone really remembers Boniface the sixth. Did Boniface the sixth have a really not very bony face? Very, very soft. Yeah, rotund. Very soft, <laughs> yeah. flaccid face. <laughs> it's like a big tangerine of a face with very small facial features. Well, he may well have been a fat, quite a fat man, Tom. As we'll see, I've I've mentioned already that some of these popes had fairly short careers. Yeah. How long do you think Boniface the Sixth lasted, Tom? Thirty six seconds. Little longer than that, but not much. <laughs> God must really have liked this guy because uh, he died of gout after fifteen days of being pope. <laughs> must have been a hell of a coronation party. <laughs> and he was replaced by a pope called Stephen the Sixth. And here is where. Poor Formosus's trouble really starts, Tom. See, Stephen was the papal choice of the Spilitan Holy Roman Empire dynasty that Formosus had hated. Guy III was one of the Spilitans. The Spilitans were, were back in power and Stephen was their choice of pope. And so it was decided that there needed to be some kind of demonstration that this family and the papacy were best friends again. And so, in 897, less than a year after he died, Formosus was put on trial. Good. And I mean, Tom, literally, Formosus was put on trial in the so-called Cadaver Synod. Oh, brilliant. Everyone likes a show trial. And this was definitely a show. Yeah, wow. His corpse was hauled out of the crypt, dressed up in full papal regalia. He was propped up on a throne. Nice. And questioned about his actions as Pope. <laughs> did someone have their hand up his ass? And they go, well, oh, I don't think I did well. that. Oh, I can't remember. 
Oh, it probably yeah. was me. I'm guilty as charged. Oh, what they did was I they had a giant cross on the ceiling with like strings coming out and the cardinals were just wobbling this cross <laughs> I've got no strings oh. to help oh. me Pope <laughs> we've done Pinocchio a few times in this we have podcast, yeah this, we? this song's come up before episodes. as well <laughs> so yeah he was he was hauled out and he was questioned he was given a lawyer to speak for him whilst he sat gently rotting and stinking out say, the courtroom he didn't have much to save himself did he <laughs> is his eyeball popped yeah. out <laughs> rolled along the floor my client wishes to pick up his eyeball. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My client has something he wishes to say as his jaw drops off. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I'm going to assume is that his lawyer was actually a very talented ventriloquist. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say to these charges, Pope Formosus? <laughs> I say you can shove it up your ass. <gasps> oh, what was that? It's <laughs> redwood. My client. My client would like to retract that statement. No. I wouldn't. Yes, you would. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> Shut up, Formosus. He's on the lawyer's lap. <laughs> yeah. Across his lap. <sighs> With a skeletal arm. I think arm. the judge looks really stupid. Formosus, how dare you say such a thing? Oh, brilliant. Uh, yes. So, well, that's essentially what happened. <laughs> Possibly not with the hand up the arse ventriloquist dummy, but who knows? Stranger things happen in Rome. At any rate, the charges were pretty severe. Firstly, he was once again accused of uh, sneakily being the Archbishop of Bulgaria, despite having another job as a cardinal in Rome. And being dead. Difficult to do when you're dead. Yeah, well, absolutely. It was illegal, as I've said, for bishops to have more than one job. It really was a a job for life. Once you were a bishop, you were kind of stuck there unless you were promoted. Again, he was dead, so it wasn't really a job for life. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Did people spot this? Have we got eyewitness sources? Oh, yes. Yes, I, they, not, they I, knew. I, I smelled something fishy going on here. I, <laughs> I literally, literally smelled, smelled something, something fishy. fishy. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was even argued that uh, this was when he was alive. He'd used dark powers and witchcraft to sway and control the minds of the people of Bulgaria to demand him as their archbishop and right. to uh, have refused to accept anyone else. He was also accused of being a fake bishop and pope because he promised that he would always be a layman in exchange for having his excommunication oh, lifted. Yeah. So on that basis, they argued that anything he'd done after the year 882 was illegal. And that included all of that encouraging people to invade the Holy Roman Empire and meddling in France stuff. That included all of the stuff he'd done against Guy of Spoleto and the Spoleto family. So obviously very, very political. But basically saying that anything that Formosus had done wasn't done as Pope and had nothing to do with the Catholic Church. It was just him being a dickhead on his own whilst dressed in a fancy tunic. Unsurprisingly, Formosus was found guilty, shock horror, and in punishment, all the papal vestments, all of his kind of popey clothes, were torn from his body violently, which uh, must have been a pretty grim job for a junior <laughs> priest. <laughs> do I have to Come go? Come on, strip no, I do it violently. Strip the rotting Pope. <laughs> oh, kinky. Do it, do it, do it. Nothing sexier than a rotting 70-year-old Pope. <laughs> oh, you've treated us on this hen do. <laughs> oh, girls, you shouldn't have. <laughs> Nuns <laughs> blushing <laughs> in the background. <laughs> As his leg flies off and <laughs> hits the judge <laughs> in the face. <laughs> Arm falls off. <laughs> leg. <laughs> Goes to rip his belt off and his pelvis flies across the room. <laughs> 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 That is pretty much exactly how it happened. So yes, he was stripped naked, 
Um, the three fingers on his right hand, which had been used to carry out all of his blessings, were chopped off so that he couldn't fake bless anyone anymore, the yeah. dirty conman scoundrel. Uh, it was obviously quite unlikely that he'd be blessing anyone, but there we go. And then all of his acts as Pope were nullified. Uh, the body was then buried in a pauper's graveyard for foreigners in the outskirts of Rome before later being dug up again, for reasons unknown, having weights tied to it and chucked into the River Tiber. So there we go, that was the Cadaver Synod. But, Tom, that's not the end of the story. Because did everyone live happily ever after? It was the Middle Ages. Did they did fuck they talk? <laughs> yes. <laughs> partly because it's the Middle Ages and partly because this is only the start of the story because now we get to Formosus's revenge. Oh, dear God, he's dead. Is he, though, Tom? Is he? Ah, this is like a Bollywood film. It is like a bunny, yeah. I'll wait until the dance off at the end. end where his arms will drop off all over again. <laughs> <laughs> Screwing the light bulb. <laughs> so the people of Rome, already predisposed to rioting, what with all the political intrigue and vying factions going on at the time, were pretty horrified about what had happened. Formosus was relatively popular, and obviously you can't go digging up dead popes and putting them on trial, Tom. It's just not the done thing. So the locals rioted. Sorry, you might be able to hear a police helicopter flying over in the background. Uh, wow. Bit of audio tapestry for you there, audience. Apparently, rumours started to spread in Rome that Formosus's body had been washed up on the banks of the Tiber and, get this, Tom, his corpse had started to perform miracles. Wow. <laughs> now, frankly, given that it's a corpse, doing literally anything when it's been dead for a year is pretty miraculous. It's a miracle. He could just yeah. have been performing the Grease Megamix and it would have been a pretty convincing act of God at this point. <laughs> Grease Megamix. We go together like... At any rate, there was a riot and Pope Stephen himself, at this point, was deposed, imprisoned and was then strangled in his cell just a few months later. So Stephen lasted as Pope for less than a year himself before being called upstairs to the uh, big room in the clouds. God, God really liked collecting popes, Tom. I cannot stress enough. Apart from Formosa. Yes. <laughs> well, he, he went upstairs and then went back down because he'd forgotten something, Formosa. So by this stage, Formosa's five years is starting to look pretty long-winded because he's only been dead for a year and we've already had one pope who lasted less than a year and one pope who lasted 15 days. And it goes on, Tom, because the next pope after Stephen, uh, Theodore II, immediately annulled all of the findings of the trial and reinstated Formosus as a former pope, having oh, his body reinterred in St. Peter's Basilica in full papal pomp and style. Jeez, leave him alone. I know, I Good know. Grief. He's busy singing. He's quite happily wandering through the streets of Rome. Just, I know, doing some Singing miracles. hairspray. <laughs> yep, curing the lepers. I don't know what, but you know, he's... he's there are miracles oh, that's, galore. There's, not, there's better ways to cure lepers than being touched by the decomposing corpse of a former pope. <laughs> well, beggars can't be choosers, Sam. If I had leprosy, I'd be, I'd be quite happy with whatever Take what you're whatever given came in. on. Yeah, absolutely. So yes, Theodore II, next pope comes in, annuls all the findings, reinstates Formosus. Theodore II, another very popular pope, very much beloved by God. How long do you think he lasted, Tom? Oh, yeah. 20 days. <laughs> 20 days, it's all good effort, good innings. <laughs> yeah. Fucking hell. And the next Pope after him, John the Ninth, banned any future trials of pre-dead Popes. Just to get the whole thing out of the way, he said, no, you can no longer try dead Popes. 
it's not okay, it's a bit weird. Did a lot of the Cardinals go, oh? <laughs> well, seven of the Cardinals got excommunicated over their role in trying dead popes. So, yes, in answer to your question. <laughs> they went, oh, that's not fair. Oh, it was it's great. That's uh, my best bit. It's the only entertainment we've had. That, that and the shitting in the cloisters. <laughs> they're the most fun thing. You banned us from do- You're not allowed to do either of them anymore. It's the only reason I became a cardinal in the first place. You can't place. ask anyone to invade you. You can't overthrow the empire. What's the what's the bloody point in being a pope if you can't have a little bit of fun? John the Ninth, Tom lasted in the job two years, quite a long time by papal standards. Yeah. <laughs> and the next pope came in, Sergius the Third. I know this is very confusing. There's an awful lot of popes. Just assume that they're all going to die very quickly. Sergius III, who actually lasted a whole seven years from 904 to 911 AD, he'd been one of the judges in Formosus' original trial. Uh, he, not wanting to be proven wrong, papal infallibility and all that, re-excommunicated the now long-dead Formosus and, according to some contemporary sources, had him dug up again, put oh, him on trial grief. again, found him guilty again and this time beheaded him. Right, just to make sure. Just to make absolutely double dutch, no takesy-backsies sure that Formosus was a bad pope. And now he's a headless bad pope, so try performing miracles now, you headless, fingerless, green arsehole. So there you go. I have to say, it is now widely doubted by modern ecclesiastical historians that he was actually dug up a second time and then beheaded. But it's it's a nice bit of papal folklore. I thought you were going to say it's it's been disproved there were miracles. <laughs> well, there were definitely miracles. <laughs> so there we go, Tom. That is the story of Pope Formosus, who died once, was tried twice, and, uh, yes, rose from the dead three times. So there you go. That is quite ridiculous. Indeed. Incidentally, in case you were wondering, Tom, I did go and have a look. There were 20 popes in the 9th century and 23 popes in the 10th century. So uh, probably more dangerous than mining, fishing and lion taming combined being pope. Yeah, dangerous business. Yeah, indeed, being God's right-hand man. Why not just be a cardinal? I'm going to suggest that actually being a cardinal probably wasn't an awful lot safer. They weren't having a whale of a time then. I No, it was, it was a little bit of a dangerous time to be a good Catholic. And a very dangerous time to be a terrible Catholic. <laughs> yeah. There you go. That's Pope Formosus and the Cadaver Synod. So, I don't know if you've got any ideas for, for next week, Tom. What we should do next week. <sighs> what could we do next week? I was thinking maybe we should do the law. It's quite open, but there's been multitude stupid laws over you know, 10,000 years of human history. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, I can see where you're going with that. Yeah. Sweet. I can definitely see where you're going with that. The law. We'll do the law. Well, I hope to all of our listeners you have enjoyed this podcast. I've certainly enjoyed learning about dead popes. I've had a whale of a time. And do get in touch with us if you've got any feedback, positive or negative, bearing in mind it might get read out. Uh, You can leave a (laughs) comment. (laughs) Uh, Get in touch with us on social media. We're on Twitter at that underscore was underscore genius. We're on Facebook at that was genius podcast. I realise I've been saying it wrong the last couple of weeks. It's at that was genius podcast. And we're on Instagram as well at that was genius. Thank you so much for tuning in and uh, we'll see you again next Wednesday night slash Thursday morning. Thank you very much. Say goodbye, Tom. See you later. Bye.